I don't know why I let her get to me like that. Ugh, that man has the ability to shred my last nerve. I'm in a terrible mood. The great Abraham Lincoln said, Be sure you put your feet in the right place, then stand firm. Welcome to the Vanessa Landino Podcast. I'm your host, Vanessa Landino. It's good to be with you today on this Monday morning, or if you're listening to this any other day of the week, it is still really good to be with you. Hope you're all having a good summer. It's winding down. If you're in the Southern Hemisphere, your winter is winding down. You know, I pick my podcast topic sometimes because you send me ideas, other times because I see a theme. And it could be a strongly present theme in a session that I'm having. And then I start to notice, hey, that theme seems to keep playing out again and again and again in different sessions. Or sometimes, I don't know, don't you sort of sometimes feel like there's something in the air? You know, you have a conversation with Annie on Monday and Billy on Tuesday and then Howard on Thursday, and you realize, man, we keep talking about the same thing. I just think sometimes we move, those of us who are doing our work, we're moving in cycles together. Um, maybe that's just because I'm a woman. That's how I see things. But either way, there seems to be a theme. And the theme that I've been touching on in so many sessions, and I'm so grateful for it because I've needed it, my clients have needed it, it's been a really good reminder for me, and in many cases I'm learning from them, many, many cases I'm learning from them about myself, about them, just about humans in general, but the theme has been coming back to your center and standing firm. This center that we have inside of us, this centered place, I call it the core, your core self your true self, but it's that place that you get to when there's no other distractions and you're not worried. So imagine you wake up and I want you to imagine that you wake up someplace beautiful. It could be on a beach. If you like to camp, imagine just waking up in a tent or in a cabin in a beautiful place. There's running water. Maybe you just wake up in your home, but you wake up and your mind is clear and your heart is unworried. You know, when you pour that first cup of coffee and there's nothing on your agenda. You're free. There's a sense of balance within you. There's a sense of inner competency that you can handle whatever the day holds ahead. There's an absence of fear and a presence of calm. There's nothing stirring. Now, lots of moms that I talk to, I have so many friends who are such fabulous mothers, and they tell me about that time before their children wake up. Before their husband gets up, when the house is still, when the house is quiet, and you have that sense of breath within you. For some of us, it's just a day when you wake up and you know there's nothing on the agenda. You get it, right? So there's a connection to self that is undisturbed. There's a connection to yourself that is not threatened. For some of you, and I know this is some of you, you lived in situations where there was domestic violence. It's the first morning you wake up in a new place where I could cry and you know you're safe. Okay. It's that feeling of I am me and I am here and I can just breathe. I can drop my shoulders and no one is infringing or intruding on that space. When we're in the core self, we know who we are. Now, does that mean every question about your identity is answered? No, that's impossible. Nobody does that. But we pretty much know who we are. We have a sense of ourselves. We know what we do. We know our patterns, our routines. 
You know, one of my favorite questions to ask clients when they're really juggling or stressing about a situation they have to enter into is I might say, what would the healthiest version of yourself do in this situation? And that's something I learned from my dear friend, Brian Hooper, who I interviewed a couple months back. So if you haven't listened to that podcast, please listen to my interview with Brian Hooper. It's so good. So, so good. But that's a good question, right? What would the healthiest version of yourself do? When you're in your core self, you know what you want. You know what you seek. You know what fulfills you. You know when you're in a day, what needs to happen in that day for you to feel productive and connected to yourself. When you're in your core self, you know what you deserve. And this is really important. We're going to unpack a lot of this today. You know what your rights are. So if that's if this is the first time you're listening to this podcast, welcome. We're so glad you're here. But go back to last week. And listen to You Have the Right to Remain Sane, because knowing what your rights are is a key component of staying in your core, okay? You have to know where you end and another person begins. You have to know what's required of you in relationship or in your life and where you get to draw the line and say, "Uh uh-uh, that's not for me. That's not something I need to be worried about. That's actually not something I need to do. So you know what your rights are, okay? So what we're going to talk about today is the core self, what it is, what are the assaults that we face on our core self, what does it look like if we're not living in our core, how to develop the core self, and how to stand in it. All right, let's dive in. Assaults on the core self. We've already talked about what it looks like when you're in your core. What does it look like when you're battling, when these assaults come, okay? The most obvious answer here is abuse or mistreatment. Okay, that is going to be an assault on yourself in a direct fashion. It's not subtle. It's not hard to determine if you have suffered any kind of abuse or consistent mistreatment. Even one bad incident could be an assault on the core self. But in general, we're very resilient. We can bounce back from a harsh word, you know, an explosion. It's not nice. We might remember it, but it doesn't, you know, rattle us. And that word is what I want you to think of, that image of being solid and strong or being shaken and rattled, okay? Abuse. Most abuse of human beings happens during childhood. So you might think, be thinking to yourself as an adult, oh, Vanessa, I don't get rattled. You know, people don't get to me. I don't let people get to me. Okay, but at some point, if, I'm not saying this happened to you, but if you suffered abuse as a child, you were rattled and shaken to the core. And that exterior of no one can get to me is an exterior. There will be a part of you inside, unless you've done your work. If you've done a lot of work, you've worked through your trauma, you've you know, move through all the stages of grief and healing. And you might have with or without therapy, okay? Therapy is not required for that. It's a tool. But if you haven't done that work, likely there's just layers in you and that core self is still pretty shaken. Why does abuse and mistreatment rattle the core? Why does it assault the core? Because it delivers a message that we are less than we are. That is the trauma of abuse and consistent mistreatment. It delivers a message that you are less than you are. You are less human. You are worthy of less dignity. You are worthy of less respect. Why? Because that's how we're being treated. If I have a piece of priceless artwork and it's in my home and it hangs on the wall and there's a light that shines on it and I clean the frame and I dust it and oh, that's a beautiful piece of art, Vanessa. Oh, thank you. I picked it up at this gallery, whatever. Okay. Obviously, it has value. But if you walked into my house and, you know, I was using it to line a dog crate, (laughs) 
random. You would think to yourself, all right, well, that apparently is not a very important piece of art there. It's just something that's lining a dog crate, right? How we treat something confers its value. It's how we communicate value. So if we are mistreated through abuse or mistreatment, it confers on us that we are of low value, low dignity, and low respect. That is absolutely an assault on the core self. It's also the most obvious. A more subtle one, a lack of mirroring. What is mirroring? Mirroring is when adults mirror back, they reflect back to children who they observe the child to be. So children need parents to mirror back to them their emotions, their thoughts. What does that look like? If little Sally's face looks, you know, crestfallen, Sally, you look sad. What's going on? That's a mirror right there. Very, very easy, very quick. Some of us do that naturally. Some of us don't mirror and we might say things like, Sally, cheer up. Okay, we're not mirroring her. We're not telling her, I see you and this is what I see. Why do we need mirroring? And there, I've done so many podcasts on this in the stack. I can't even list them all. Why do we need mirroring? Probably the best one would maybe be connect the dots on mirroring. I think so. I don't know. They're all throughout. Because children don't know who they are. They don't have a felt sense of self that's developed relationally. They have an innate sense of self. They're human beings. We're born with it. That's part of being human. You have a sense of self. How that is developed is up to all the influences around them. So if we did not get mirrored, we didn't have parents who had enough empathy or presence, it could be either one, to stop and mirror back, hey, Mary, you look angry or you look sad or did you have a great day at school? Your face is glowing. All of those are mirrors, all of them. It doesn't have to be negative. Sometimes we need our thoughts mirrored back to us. You know, children can't always articulate their thoughts. They're kids. Their vocabulary is limited. Their ability to make connections between the brain and the heart and the body and articulate that really well. I mean, that's why we need language, but that's an art. I mean, communicating really well is an art. It takes time to learn how to do that, right? So sometimes we need to say to a child or we needed to hear, you know, Vanessa, here's what I'm hearing you tell me. I think you're telling me that you're disappointed because we didn't go to the roller skating rink as early as you wanted to. Yes. Okay. You know, we've all done this with kids. Sometimes you have to like translate child into English, (laughs) right? That's mirroring. Now we do that naturally with toddlers who are learning language, you know, when kids hit about six, nine months, they start saying their first words. And then all through about age two and a half to three, they're really, really grasping the English language. Baby talk is adorable. But what are we doing while they're learning baby talk? Okay, I can get you a cookie. That's a mirror. Okay, a perfect mirror. Why don't we get mirrored? Well, like I said, a lack of empathy. We just don't have parents who have the emotional substance in them to connect with us in that way, they're not present. They're too busy. They were emotionally unavailable. They stopped doing it at an age where we got harder to understand intellectually or emotionally. Maybe they mirrored us when we were very little, which is still a good thing, but they stopped. But mirroring is actually something that needs to go on throughout the lifespan. What happens when I'm in a couple session and the couple is just, they're not hearing each other. They're bickering and arguing in session. What do I do? Stop. What are you hearing her say? We call it reflexive listening, but what am I actually teaching them to be? A mirror. Mirror her back to herself. Mirror him back to himself. Why? Because it's connective. This is how we start to reconnect. 
Okay. So that is an assault on the core self in childhood. And it can be in adulthood, but it's not quite an assault. In childhood, it is because children are so spongy. They're squishy. They're so malleable. So if a child is not mirrored at all over time or very infrequently over time, they don't have a sense of who they are. Now, what does that lead to? It can lead to people-pleasing. We develop a personality where we're actually mirroring the people we're in relationship with. We're doing what it takes to stay connected to them. And I'm going to say more about this later, but we disconnect from the self because we really want to stay in the relationship. What else is an assault on the core self? Guilt trips. Guilt trips. Let's break this down. People will manipulate us. It's a form of manipulation by leading us into guilt, by implicating or maybe flat out saying that we've done wrong because we haven't been who they want us to be instead of allowing and encouraging us to be ourselves. Okay, so I'm going to say that again because it's so important that we break this down. A lot of us have unnecessary guilt. And this is a therapeutic content matter because people come into therapy, they feel terrible about themselves. And then when I unpack, wait a minute, what is it that you feel guilty about? Well, because I didn't do such such and such. Hang on. Are you obligated to do that? We have to unpack that because you have a lot of unnecessary guilt. Okay. Guilt trips are typically initiated by people who want to manipulate us by leading us into a guilt feeling. And how do they do that? They either implicate, they imply or they flat out say that we have done something wrong because we haven't been who they want us to be, not who we are. So again, we go back to mirroring. In relationship, my job is to mirror back who you are, not who I want you to be. Now look, human beings are so egocentric. We are. You think you're not, you are. We are so self-centric and egocentric that we will typically mirror back to other people who we are. We're just that way. You know, what's, what's the first thing you do when you see somebody, you're walking your black lab and you see somebody with a black lab, oh, you're dull, right? Because they have what you have. It's the most natural human response in the world. You know, I can't tell you how many times I live in Nashville, but I'm from New Jersey. I meet somebody who's, who's from Jersey and I'm like, oh, you're from Jersey. What exit? You know, what exit off the New Jersey park, the Garden State Parkway or the New Jersey Turnpike? That's typical. We do that naturally. We naturally mirror and form connections around things in common. Okay. But when you're in a guilt tripping kind of situation, you have someone who is creating distance because there is difference. Maybe you prefer to do things differently. Maybe you have a different take on life. Maybe you have different opinions, but I'm going to make you feel bad for being different, not wrong. Does that make sense? Maybe you are doing quote unquote wrong by them, but you're being very true to yourself and they're guilt tripping you for it. So we're gonna unpack this a little bit more later, okay? About how to discern whether or not you need to be in a guilt feeling. But right now we're talking about assaults on the self, on the core self, and a guilt trip is an assault because it can, what does it do? It rattles us, it throws us off our core. Wait a minute, am I doing something wrong? We move from peace within us into self-doubt like that. So fast, self-questioning. Am I bad, am I wrong? Am I, did I screw this up? Okay, that's a guilt trip. Okay, another assault on the core self. And these are a little bit more situational. In AA, when we talk about, you know, taking sobriety one day at a time, there's an acronym in AA that's been in use for a long time, and it is HALT, H-A-L-T. And what does that stand for? Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Okay, and what do they say in AA? Never let yourself get too hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. Because if you do, you're going to be tempted to drink. 
Those four states of being, hungry, angry, lonely, tired, I want you to remember halt, are assaults on the core self because any of those, if pushed too far, you will act in ways that are outside of your core self. You will act in ways that are not true to who you are. Okay, so we'll talk a little bit more about halt later. Strong personalities can be an assault to the core self. I've read Desiderata, that poem on the podcast before. It still will always hang in my home. It hangs right by the front door in my house. But there is a line in it that says, avoid loud and aggressive persons. They are vexations to the spirit. Now, if I'm being completely truthful, I have been a loud and aggressive person. I have been a vexation to other people's spirits, but other people have been that for me. And I know that's true for a lot of us. Unless you have a very mild personality, you have probably been a vexation to other people's spirit. But you know that the, what that's like. If you've been in relationship with somebody like that, there are people whose opinions just take over the room. You know, what, the way they see the world takes over the room. They're dominant. They're centric, egocentric, self-centric, strong personalities. The way that they want to do it is the way it should be done. Okay? So we know that that's an assault on the core. Why? Because as they balloon into their big, large, loud personality, sometimes we can feel like we're shrinking, Right? We can feel a little rattled, like, oh, well, I thought this, but, you know, this person, this very loud, strong, aggressive person is saying that. Maybe I should pay attention to that, right? That can be an assault on the core self. All right. So we have abuse, mistreatment, lack of mirroring, guilt trips, hungry, angry, lonely, tired, strong personalities. What does it look like? Those are the assaults on the core self. But now let's talk about what does it look like if you're not living in your core? Friends, it's going to feel like you're not living your own life. And I want you to really hear me on this section because some of you listening to this feel this way. You're not living your life. Somehow it doesn't feel like you, like I'm at whatever age I'm at. I'm in my 20s, my 30s, my 40s, my 50s, my 60s, and this doesn't feel like the life I wanted. Okay, that's a scary realization. Did you make decisions in your life that were outside of your core? Because if you did, if you built your life, And the bigger the decision, the more your life is going to feel like it's not your life. Did you make decisions that were outside of your core? What do I mean by big decisions? Here's what I mean. If I go to an ice cream shop with friends and there's some, you know, I live in Nashville and there's Jenny's ice cream is a ice cream chain around here. And they've got really, really cool flavors. I mean, they've got chocolate vanilla, but then they've got wacky things like raspberry goat cheese or, you know, just really, really cool lavender rosemary. I mean, just crazy neat flavors. And, you know, if I'm not in my core, this is sort of an adolescent thing, but let's just go with it. Let's say I go up to the counter and I say, you know, I would love to try your cinnamon bark (laughs) ice cream. My friend goes, ew, that's gross. You know, teenagers do stuff like this. Ew, that's gross. No, I was just kidding. I'm just going to do double chocolate fudge. Okay, that was an assault on the core. Strong personality comes in. I immediately become self-conscious, self-aware. I shift course. Now, is that decision going to change my life forever? Probably not. Although there's a pattern there of people pleasing that probably needs to be addressed, right? But if I make a decision from that same place of guilt, fear, shame, I don't want to be seen as different. If I make that decision and I choose a career that makes my parents happy and not me happy, do you think I'm going to be disconnected from my own life? You betcha. Do you see the bigger the decision, an ice cream flavor, not a huge decision. A career, that's a pretty big decision. A marriage, huge decision that is the largest most important decision you'll make in your life is who you marry whether or not to have children 
how to raise children. These are big life decisions, what to do with parents as they're ailing. These are huge decisions in life. And if we are not feeling like we're in our own life, this doesn't feel like my life. I feel like I'm supposed to be living somewhere else, some other life. I want you to ask yourself, am I in my core? Do I breathe and feel my breath and know who I am? Remember what we talked about earlier. When you're in your core, you know who you are, you know what you do, you know what you want, you know what you deserve, and you know what your rights are. You know what makes you happy. And I don't mean that in the most shallow sense of the word. I just mean you know yourself. You know what brings you joy. You're connected to it. So what does that mean when we're not living our life? I'm not living my life. I'm living the life I was conditioned to live. I'm living the life people told me I should live. We feel adrift. We go from day to day, decision to decision, doing the best we can. But we're not anchored. Our feet are not on our ground. There's no root. The core was rattled at some point and never got reset. So we're adrift and we try on different identities and we shape shift and maybe we have the chameleon effect and I'm this person over here and I'm this person with this with these people and I don't know who I am nor do I know how to connect to my core. So I'm floating through life and that doesn't mean that you know I'm living out of a trailer driving cross country. It doesn't mean that. You could be very solidly in a career, in a marriage, with a family. You could be a very solid person and feel totally adrift within you, not anchored down. Some of us are very consistent in our personality, our identity. We feel like that's not, Vanessa, I'm not a chameleon. You know, that doesn't apply to me. Okay, I get it. I know some of you. But some of us feel adrift in the sense that we're chasing a feeling. We're chasing fun. We're chasing purpose. We're chasing meaning. We're adrift because we're not anchored in who we are. So we're chasing something that we think will give us a feeling of who we are. Again, we're not anchored in our core. We don't know to say yes to things and no to things. We're living life at 90 miles an hour. We're running and running and going and going. And we don't know the benefit of stopping. When we have no core, when we're disconnected from the core, we people please like crazy, crazy times. What is people pleasing? It means you sever connection with yourself. You break it. You break or sever the connection with yourself in an effort to remain in what feels like connection to others. That's what people pleasing is. You are breaking connection with yourself in order to try and be connected to others. But we can only ever be really connected to others if we are connected to ourselves. It won't feel like connection if it's not genuine and authentic from us. Otherwise, we're likely performing out of guilt, shame, or fear. Now, what would we be afraid of? Abandonment. Rejection. That's why we people please, right? We're people pleasing out of guilt. We're giving people what we think they want, what we think we should give them. Again, look at all the thoughts before what I am and what I do. Well, I'm being who I think I should be or who you want me to be or I'm doing what you tell me. There's so many words between I am and I do. It's convoluted. It's messy. It's confusing. When we're in our core, it's simpler. There's a simplicity to it. Man, that is hard fought. It does not come naturally. But we people please like crazy. What does that look like? We bend our will our values, our time, 
our energy, we lie. Again, to try and stay connected to others, but we disconnect from the self and we frantically, maniacally, manically try to spend time with people so we can quell that anxiety within us. We try and give them what they need, what they want, what we think will make them happy because the core in us is totally disconnected. What happens when we're not in our core because of the people pleasing and the adrift and the not living our life, we actually lack deep and meaningful connection and relationship. That comes from standing in yourself, offering yourself and being received and loved. That is deep, meaningful connection and relationship. That's where attachment happens. It happens right there. This is who I am. This is who I'm presenting myself to be. This is the real me. I love you. Okay, now we have relationship. And when we're not in our core, we're easily rattled. We're pushed off center. We're pushed around. We're moody. We have highs and lows in a day. We don't know how to be steady. Steady Eddie. All right. Now let's talk about how to develop the core self. Friends, if you listen to no other part of this podcast, please hear me say this. You have to spend time alone. You have to. Some of you are terrified of being alone. You are so afraid of your own company. Who are you afraid of meeting? This is like walking into a room of people. I can't go in there. I can't go in there. I'm shaking outside the door. Who are you afraid of in there? But some of us, I can't spend time alone. I mean, I could never spend more than, you know, a couple hours alone. But who are you afraid of that's inside you? There are no ghosts in there. There's just parts of you. You have to spend time alone. Why? Because you have to feel your own energy. You have to feel your own energy. You have to feel your breath. We all have a hum. You know, we're vibrating beings of electrical connectivity and electrical impulses and electrical circuitry. Human beings have their own hum. People have their own energy. We're all vibrating at different, is it a gigahertz? (laughs) Megahertz? Something hertz? Okay, we all have our own hum. And there's a whole, I could do a whole podcast on like the spiritual hierarchy of different vibrations. That's really interesting stuff. Not necessarily mental health, but connected loosely. But you have your own energy. Do you know what that feels like? I remember so well when I came into my own energy and it was when I was really early on in the 12 steps and I was working through the 12 steps. And I remember the first time I became aware of my levels dropping. So one of the features of not being in your core is your adrenaline, your norepinephrine, and your cortisol stay pretty high. Those are your stress hormones, okay? And we can live in that place of homeostasis, and we just make a lot of decisions in life that keep us stressed out because the body loves homeostasis. So once your cortisol levels get elevated or once your adrenal levels get elevated, you're going to actually live in that place and keep going and going and going to keep yourself in that place. But what you don't realize is that you're living stressed out. Okay, so I remember the first time, and this is part of coming into your core, is when you start to let your levels drop. And I was sitting in this ratty apartment in Tennessee. It was when I first got here. I had absolutely no money. I just got divorced. I could barely afford food. And I'm sitting in this apartment, but I'm doing my work. I'm going to meetings. I'm working the 12 steps. I'm scraping together money to pay a therapist who was seeing me at an extremely discounted rate. Thank you for that. And I could feel it. I'm sitting in my living room just reading a book. And I went, oh, my gosh, my levels are dropping. I can feel it in my body. I'm 
dropping in adrenaline, in cortisol. Like I knew that's what was happening. I was calming down, settling down. My life was my own. My time was my own for the first time in my life. My life was small and it was humble, but it was quiet. And I was finally starting to draw those boundaries around the people in my life that were loud and aggressive persons that were vexations to my spirit. I was sort of cleaning up my life and my levels were starting to drop. Friends, you've got to spend time alone. You have to feel your own energy. You need to listen to yourself. And again, this is something that we do when we're spending time alone. Listen to your thoughts and your feelings. Listen to your inner voice. Listen to the parts of yourself. Sometimes in therapy, I might ask a client, you know, they might tell me that they're feeling a certain way or they're struggling with a certain terrible belief about themselves. And I might say, how old is that part of you? They might say it's six. Okay, what does she want to say? What does this little six-year-old need to tell us? What needs to be heard? Okay, that's listening to the parts of yourself. You know, when I was 21, This terrible thing happened and I've never processed it. Okay, can you give that part of you a voice? Can you let the part of you that was bullied speak finally? The part of you that was abused, the part of you that was forgotten, neglected, abandoned. Can you let that part of you speak? You've got to listen to yourself. And in order to do that, I don't know any other way than to spend time alone and spend time in silence. Listen to your voice. Your relationship with yourself has to become a place of trust if you are going to live in your core. You need to learn how to trust yourself. And the only way to do that is to start by listening to yourself. And then we start to realize, you know, I make a lot of sense. (laughs) Jersey Blunt, I'm making sense in here. All right. I'm making sense. I make sense. My thoughts are not crazy. A lot of times in therapy, what a therapist is giving to a client is a sense of normalization. What does that mean? It means we're saying that's normal. You're right. That's fine. We're validating them. You have a good point. I do? Yes. That's a completely reasonable position. It is? Yes, it is. That is reasonable. You mean I don't have to do such and such? Well, I'm not going to tell you what you have to do or don't have to do. I'm just going to tell you that by every metric of human relationship, that is a reasonable position to be in. You do what you think you need to do, okay? We get that and we give that to ourselves when we spend time alone and listen to our own voice. Your relationship with yourself has to be a place of safety. You need to learn how to listen to yourself without judging. This is hard to do. Everyone struggles with this. I am not saying I do this perfectly. There are places in myself where I'll think, oh, shoot, you're avoiding that. You got to deal with it. All right, what are you afraid of? What part of this, of this self, what part of you are you afraid of here? Okay. But this is how we get to the core. And not only how we get to the core, this is how we return to the core. Because we all get rattled. We all come home from a day or we're all in our day and we just think to ourselves, I don't think I've taken a conscious breath in two hours. Too much on my mind, too much to do. Right? So we have to return to the core. So how do you... Come back to your core. Breathe. Breathe. Take a breath. If you can, move into a place where you're alone. And just check in. Breathing into that place in your chest, right in the center of your chest. It's like your solar plexus, your sternum, right in the middle. 
That's your core. Breathe into it. Gather yourself. Talk to yourself. All right? What's going on here? I'm rattled. I need to breathe. I need to come back to who I know that I am. Whatever limited knowledge I have of myself, I need to come back to it. I'm being challenged here. What is challenging me? Friends, we need to slow it down. Step away. I love when I hear people say, you know, I had to step outside just to gather my breath and get my thoughts. Yes, what a great thing to do. Step away. Come back to your center. What can you do to keep yourself in your center? Journal. Honestly, see a therapist who does not push you out of your center. Your therapist should be helping you get into your center, not pushing you out. Spend time with people who celebrate who you are. Not people who only celebrate you when you are who they want you to be. And that's a big one. Because we all have people like that in our lives. These are assaults on the core. I only celebrate you when you are, and nobody says this explicitly, well, I'm not going to be your friend and I'm not going to show any enthusiasm about your life unless you are exactly who I think you are. Nobody says that explicitly, but oh boy, is that built into the relationship? You bet. So how do you return to the core? Call, make a call, make a coffee date, get with someone who you know, you can just say, this is where I am, this, and they mirror you and they love you and you feel after you spend time with them more like yourself than when you started. Okay. What does it look like when we're in our core, not just naturally with a cup of coffee by ourselves in the morning, but when you're in your core in the sense that you're standing your ground, let's unpack that phrase. Standing your ground. Has it ever occurred to you before this moment that the ground you're standing on is your own? You're standing your ground. The phrase does not say, you know, stand the ground, stand on the ground, stand grounded. No, it's stand your ground. It's yours. This is yourself, your body, your life, your core. Stand in yourself. It's yours. You own it. Don't you love that old quote by Oscar Wilde? Be yourself because everyone else is already taken. (laughs) What a witty person. Stand your ground. Now, phrases that come to mind are, for example, don't be a pushover. Well, let's unpack that. What does it mean to be a pushover? It means you can be pushed over. You're not in your core. You can be rattled. You can be pushed off. When we come back to the core, we're being true to who we are. Does that mean we're going to disappoint people? Oh, heck yeah. Oh, heck yeah. You're going to disappoint people if you are being yourself in your core. Every, we are so egocentric. Everybody's got an agenda for who you should be. It is a rare friendship. It is a rare, rare relationship when someone is 100% of the time always invested in who you are as a person and not who they need you to be. It's rare. People usually steer the conversation one way or another. People usually imply, people ask, whatever it is, okay? But when you're in your core and you're standing your ground, you're not moved. So let's talk about what that means in areas of preferences. In areas of preferences, it just means that you're not bending and people-pleasing to be what another person wants you to be. You're willing to say, no, I don't like that. No, I don't want to go. No, that's not really my thing. That's being in your core. 
Let's talk about being in your core in terms of moral decisions. And this is what I was promising earlier that I would unpack guilt. We need to talk about toxic guilt versus healthy guilt. Okay, toxic guilt is the guilt you feel when you have not lived up to someone else's expectations and they're giving you grief about it. You're not living up to someone else's code, someone else's requirements, and they're giving you grief about it. That's toxic guilt. You feel guilty, but you're not. So let's talk about healthy guilt. Okay, Vanessa, well, how do I know if I'm really guilty or not guilty? Good question. Guilt is a very important human emotion and everyone should have guilt. What? Vanessa, you think everyone should be guilty? I absolutely do. Because if you don't have guilt, you don't have a conscience. And if you don't have a conscience, you're a sociopath. Okay? Everyone has guilt. You have to have guilt to function in society. And what is guilt? Guilt is the emotion we feel when we know we've done something wrong. It's that pang that happens inside of us. It's not comfortable, but it's your conscience functioning. It's a healthy part of a human being. You need an inner signal that you have acted in a way that's outside of your value system or your principles. That's guilt. That discomfort is a good thing. But some of us are guilty in a toxic way. We have toxic guilt. Now, I am not a philosopher, so I'm not going to philosophize about morality and how we get to moral decisions. But I will say this from a therapeutic standpoint. If you need to examine your actions as to whether or not you need to feel guilty, ask yourself if you have done right or wrong. Not right or wrong by someone else, right or wrong in a more objective sense. What do I mean? Friends, what makes something right or wrong is did it cause harm or not? That is the basis for most of what we call, I think all of what we call simplistically, right or wrong. Did it harm someone myself, or some other living thing. If it did, it is probably wrong. Did it do good to myself, someone else, or some other living thing? We would probably call that right. Now, this extends to living things. For example, if somebody bought, they came home with 15 plants, and they put them all in a closet and never watered them. Some, some part of us would just like, why, why did you do that? That's terrible. Why? Because they're living things. I mean, are they sentient? Not to my knowledge, although some of us would say that the trees are communicating with each other, but that's a whole other podcast and a whole other level. But to our knowledge, plants don't get their feelings hurt and they can't suffer pain, but they do suffer. They die if we don't take care of them. Why would you go get that's that's there's something wrong with someone who would buy plants, put them in a closet and never water them. That's weird. It's cruel to the plant. That's what I mean by wrong. We have a sense that that's not right. It's wrong because you're doing harm. People who abuse dogs, people who have, you know, 50 cats that that have gone unfed, unclean, that's wrong. How much more so when we do that to one another as humans, we mistreat one another, we neglect one another. It's wrong. That's what makes it wrong. It's because it's doing harm. What makes something right and wrong is not what another person says it is. We have to be careful we don't give people that authority because we could wind up very guilty When we've done nothing wrong, what makes something right or wrong is, did it do good or did it do harm? And guilt can throw us off our core like that. When we are in our core and we're standing our ground, we are resisting toxic guilt. Don't put that on me. Uh Uh-uh. That's your values, not mine. Nope. I am living according to what I believe is right and wrong. Did it cause harm? Did it cause good? 
So that means we're able to be in our core in areas of moral decisions. So we've talked about being in our core in areas of preferences, not people pleasing, not bending, being in our core in areas of moral decisions. Let's talk a little bit about being in our core in our relationships. And then we'll wrap up. What do I mean? Well, all of this is relational. Preferences, moral decisions, it's all relational. But what do I mean in our relationships? Friends, we have to get comfortable with the feeling. And this is so hard. I am preaching to myself right now. We have to get more comfortable with the feeling of disappointing one another. No one is going to nail it every single time. No one is going to be exactly who we want every time we want all the time. Disappointment is part of relationship. It's also a reflection of our expectations. If we expect people to be exactly what we want, when we want it, how we want it all the time, we're going to live disappointed. We have to live holding our relationships close to our hearts, but loosely with our hands. People don't belong to us and we don't belong to other people. We belong to ourselves and we belong to God. If you believe in God, if you don't believe in God, you belong to the universe, but you belong to something. You belong here. You belong on earth. You belong with us, but you belong to yourself. And when we form relationships and we're not in our core, we have an inner hum of fear because we know we're not in our core. We may not consciously know it, but on some level, we know we're not connected to ourselves. We're sort of shape-shifting and people-pleasing into the relationship. And we will never have the confidence that we are loved unconditionally if we people please. What we all desire is unconditional love. We want to be assured that we are loved unconditionally. We can't do that if we're people pleasing. So being in our core in relationships means practicing being disappointing. That's it. That's the podcast for today. Go out and disappoint people. Goodbye. (laughs) But no, really go out and disappoint people. Disappoint people. Be you. If people can't handle that, believe me, this is not a relationship worth investing in. We keep those people on the perimeter. So stand your ground. It's yours. Stand on it. I love this quote. I mean, Abraham Lincoln, of all people. He knew a little bit about standing his ground. Be sure you put your feet in the right place then stand firm. Now this is important, right? Don't stand firm if you're standing in the wrong place. Be sure you've put your feet in the right place and then stand in it. Stand your ground. All right, let's pause there. Thank you for listening. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for being a member of this community. If you have liked this podcast today, please hit subscribe. If you would leave us a review, you can just click on the star review or if you leave us a written review. That would be amazing. This is a big week. Why? Because someone, and I don't know who you are, but maybe you listen to this podcast. Someone left me my first review on Amazon, a five-star review for the toolbox. Friends, this just made my day. I don't know if you saw my Instagram story. My Instagram handle is Vanessa the Therapist. But it made my day. I was like, oh my gosh, somebody reviewed my book. And it was not a written review, which was kind of even cooler. It was just like, yeah, I loved it. Five star, moving on. Great. Maybe you're from Jersey. (laughs) 
(laughs) Not a lot to say, gotta get it done. Anyway, that meant the world to me. Friends, if you have read The Toolbox, if you like The Toolbox, please leave a review. It would really, really be meaningful to me. Uh, Thank you for listening. Again, if you like this podcast, please share it. Our community is growing and growing and growing and growing, and it's really been fun to watch. And remember, your soul work is to discover who you truly are and learn how to love that human being. And the way that you love yourself is by being in your core. Till next time, this podcast was recorded in Nashville, Tennessee and edited by Jared Bentley. I'm Vanessa Londino, and you just listened to the Vanessa Londino podcast.